I'm Brent Leary. I'm still in preview mode. I wish I was anyway, but I'm Paul Greenberg. No, we're not using Restream just yet. We're uh, back to StreamYard, and we are actually in program mode, and we are the CRM players. See, that's the problem I have is like, even though I don't have any technical lag, I have a little mental lag. So <laughs> I'm still in preview. Right. You know, concern. It's a good thing that we have redundancy in our technologies because five minutes ago I was talking and it took about five seconds for you to actually see what I was saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. Your lips, your lips and your voice were two very distinct things. Let's just <laughs> talking out the side of my, well, that's not no. quite the same, but anyway, it is another CRM players weekly. Do you know how many of these we've actually done in a row now? No. <laughs> Me neither. That's why I was asking you. I, I, I really kind of lost track. I have a clue. You know what would be actually even interesting, more interesting question or equally as interesting? How many we've done total from the like Since we've been in, oh, since like 2009? Yeah. A lot. We'll just put it like that. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so we actually have a pretty full schedule for this. We got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, we're gonna gonna go over some of the the virtual conferences that took place this week. There was Pega World and there was ServiceNow. We got a few things to say about them. Uh, we're gonna have our buddy John Reed. I like to call him the Notorious John Reed. It works. He is. No, I mean, that's actually true in his case. I think it was uh, I think it was Sandy Lowe that may have given him the title of the gangster of ERP or something. Like Ooh, that. well, that, although I like I actually like yeah the gangster of ERP. Yeah. You know that's GURP. Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> like doing the acronym math, so to speak, and didn't quite work. <laughs> hey, well, you know if uh, Michael Jordan is called the goat, okay. John Reed is now called. The GURP. The GURP. <laughs> oh, God. That poor guy. Like, it's almost like a like gangster and GURP. Think about it. It's like, yeah. Ugh. And it's also almost like when you say GURP, you should say, like, excuse me. Yeah, exactly. That it sounds <laughs> like GURP. I'm a nerd who just burped. Right? <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have had that tamale for lunch or something. That's like right. That. It's literally that GURP. Oh, my. All right, well, and then after, you know, we, we get a chance to talk with him for a while, and then you go into your watch list winners segment, and this week we've got pros in the in the spotlight, right? Mm-hmm, and he's we have, holding it up. We have the uh, VP of strategy, Jeff Webb, who is um, literally one of the uh, – He's let's say this. He's not only incredibly smart – uh, VP of strategy, but he's very entertaining guy too. He's a uh, good man. Worked with him well, a bit. If you're going to have a VP of strategy, you would really hope that it would be a smart person. I'll say that. Yeah, well, he's got that going, and he's got that. He's got the right personality to handle us. I think. Hmm. And we do. I'm not sure we have the right personality to handle us. So. Yeah, and we do have a, a bit of an announcement. Although we won't have the full blown ceremony until I guess next week. Yeah. But we we have another loss. We've lost another person. That's right. Well, that's not nowadays we, we shouldn't. Yeah, we gotta be careful right. about how we say right. we've lost another player in residence. Let's put it like right. that. However, he 
he or she is we're not saying which one is still alive just so you understand we don't yes that other way moving on to greener pastures yeah. just like our numero uno brian solis we all remember brian right we, we do remember brian. him uh he, he is now the chief innovate the global was the chief global right. innovation global so, innovation global chief <laughs> evangelist there's an i know the evangelist and global is in there yeah and chief is in there i Thing. No, maybe not. No, global innovation evangelist. Evangelist. All right, there it is. Salesforce. So he's the GIA, whereas, of course, it's either a government agency, <laughs> name of Angelina Jolie's first movie, or a bastard is a, or they left out an A and they really mean Gaia, the Earth. Yeah, either that. So we lose a global innovation evangelist. And we're apparently losing somebody else to become the chief sales officer. I guess we'll talk. We'll talk about it a little later, just to keep you in suspense. Even though, if you haven't figured this out by now, you're probably yeah. you really don't want to be watching this show. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> we're way more complicated than this one. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So we got a lot to go on. But I always like to start these weekly uh, shows talking about the happy hour. So let's talk a little bit about the happy hour. What, what was about yesterday's happy hour that was kind of cool? Well, actually, you, really. I mean, <laughs> we, you know, we, we so we did our usual intros. We had four new happy hour participants. We had Robin Schaefer, who's a longtime AR person who uh, is now doing her own agency, which she's very excited over and should be because she's really good at her job. But uh Dennis Sainhave, who is the CEO of C3 Logic, which those of you who don't know, they they do they basically are one of ServiceNow's top partners. Um, they've also done some work with Sugar CRM in the past, but ServiceNow is kind of where they live, and they they're a remarkable company. I've actually done some client work with them recently, and Dennis himself is really really uh, a wonderful guy. I mean, just truly wonderful guy. Um, good heart all the way through. Then we had one of our longtime buddies, um, Mike Fawcett, right, who currently the chief research, chief research officer at G2, formerly G2 Crowd, but goes, I mean, I go all the way back with him until 1996, you know, but he's a longtime industry influencer and analyst uh, and a great photographer. And who's the fourth new one? Blocking on the fourth new one. Uh, my apologies to whoever it is, but I am totally blocking you as a new person. I will, while we continue to discuss it though, uh, I'll look it up. Um, we kind of had a pseudo new one cause Charlie Isaacs joined us for the full time. And remember the last time he, he was only on for like, I think he was, he just said, hi, I'm Charlie. And then had to go. Yeah, we never even got to his, uh, introduction. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. He didn't even say hi, <laughs> but it was, you know what? Uh, it was, it's always wonderful to have Charlie cause he's, Really of course, there's people in the whole industry. It really is. Uh, yeah, but I thought it was an it, it, I and I think we're gonna officially have to rename it the happy 90 instead of the happy hour because we do go it has never ever ended after 60 minutes. <laughs> well, no, that's on Sunday nights. <laughs> oh god, uh, it's gonna be one of those kind of shows, folks. Yeah, so you just uh, yeah, <laughs> get ready. Um, so anyway, all right, so yeah, and people oh, once again, God, the oh. fourth, 
how could we forget this one? It's like so. Hey, uh, look look who likes look who likes uh, the name Happy Ninety. Who? Wait, I'm I'm literally looking at Eventbrite. Oh, oh you, you gotta be. <laughs> of course, man himself. <laughs> yes, guest on the show and a member of. Even though he's never been on a happy hour, which of course he's always invited to, we actually have put. He's so big a name, and so prominent, so close a friend. He's actually part of the happy hour community. He's the only one who has literally violated all the rules and got in anyway. I, I thought I I thought I saw him commenting on the happy hour. You know, uh, like <laughs> no. No, it was what probably his seventh clone was there on, <laughs> in disguise. Right. So uh Ben Nickerson from the Red Sox came on yesterday too for the Oh, that's why I forgot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ben is just a lovely guy, formerly the Celtics, went to the Red Sox. We had Jay uh Lumsden, who was from the Red Sox the week before. So Ben, on the strength of Jay's having such a great time came on this time and said he would be back in. Oh, Ray, you're already in, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> well, this clone one oh, is one. Oh, we don't know. God, that, yeah. We have to re-register. I have clone <laughs> <seven> registered. <laughs> uh, by the way, do a little plug, although they don't really need it, but Disrupt TV with uh, Ray and his co-host, Bala Afshar. When is it? Tomorrow. I think it's, to, it's Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, yeah. 11 a.m. Pacific. Yeah, they. It, that's it. They have better guests than we do. <laughs> they have so many. Well, right? you know, that's that's true. You know, I mean, we have more fun, I think, but they have <laughs> than we do. Uh, so the real fun of the happy hour, though, was you, really. I mean, we raised the question on, you know, because it's a legitimate question. And Brent and I have spent a lot of time, mostly Brent teaching me uh, on how to up the game when it comes to the technology we're using to broadcast. So I, I put a question to the crowd on technology what are you using and then brent kind of gave a lesson in that i mean why don't you talk to people a little bit about that because i thought it was great and so did everybody else and they were all inspired yeah uh, yeah i'm good with uh that so we'll we could be like uh crm players comes to disrupt tv it was like two on two and have have a good have good fun with uh both shows and then we have, and then we bring them on to us that's right. Yeah. So right. you remember, you remember there was, do you remember Law and Order? This is in the 90s for folks who may not remember. Uh, there was a television show called Law and Order. It was actually on for 20 years. And there was another show on called Homicide Life on the Street. Right. It was produced by the same guys. One was set in New York. Law and Order was set in New York. Uh, Homicide Life on the Street was set in Baltimore. But every there was like a couple of uh, crossover episodes where it, one would start out on Law and Order, and they, they had both characters from both t uh, 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 TV shows on on the Law and Order, and then it would follow up like from nine to ten, it was Law and Order. From ten to eleven, it was Homicide Life on the Street, and it was it was the same characters from both shows crossed over. So, so we for, can do that. So just so that people have a contemporary reference. I know you guys are younger than me. That, that's contemporary. <laughs> I remember you and I used to have discussions of like Sapphire and things like that on the Law and Order episodes. Remember, we would sit there and talk about Law and Order episodes. Oh yeah. I, well, I, you could get into like some serious, uh, you know, debates, and sometimes fisticuffs could have broken out if you chose. Let's say I was a Frank Pemberton guy, and I did like Munch. Oh, who did uh, Munch? But yeah so it was like pemberton versus munch 
And then there was the ultimate. It was Lenny Briscoe. Oh, and yeah, oh, yeah. I don't even. I don't even think there was an equivalent on the homicide life on this. No, no. Look, I mean, Law and Order always had the best detectives. I mean, Lenny Briscoe, who's what Jerry? Uh, what's his name? Jerry. Um, Jerry. Ah, or, or, oh, Jerry Ormeyer, wasn't it? Orbach. Jerry Orbach. Orbach who was also a Broadway star, by the way. And then it had um, Jesse Martin, who I love. Oh, yeah. And Jesse Martin, by the way, will segue into my contemporary reference. So Jesse Martin, who was also, by the way, a Broadway star, right? I mean, he was a, he was a star of Rent. And Jerry Orbach was a star of multiple kind of the older ones, you know, My Fair Lady. Not My Fair Lady, but that was kind of uh, 50s and 60s ones. So anyway... More contemporary reference for all you crossover fans is the CW crossovers that are going on all the time between the DC comic universe. So that would be Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, <laughs> Batwoman. Uh, I think that's it. Flash, Arrow, okay. Those five. And then every year they have one big crossover. All five, all five shows are on all five shows. Right, wow, that, that's it's just massive, but you know what? They're incredibly complicated, but well done. I love them actually. I watch them all the time. Oh, yeah. off the air, but uh, he died in the last crossover, right? Oh, well, yeah, that's kind of a tough one there. Yeah. But uh, look, uh, since our, our, our buddy's coming up in a little while, but he's already commenting. So, The Wire is was one of the greatest uh series I've ever seen. I love, and I and I was set in Baltimore too. Yeah. I think there was some. There was some crossover between uh, Homicide, Life on the Street, and uh, The Wire. I think actually there are a number of people were on both of those shows. Now that I think about it, uh, so so yeah. And then let's see what he said here. Uh, those shows anticipated and warned about the root causes of the well. That's true too. Wow. I'd say let's say this. Well, that is amazingly intelligent social commentary. I'd only say for the most part that's true. Not yeah, I mean it's it's it, there's there's hints. Oh for it for sure whoa a facebook message there's a first yeah that's a that is a first uh, there's mr oh, thomas Weebernite. how do you pronounce his last name Weebernite? is that it you know what at this point pronounce it any way you want tom <laughs> thomas w thomas tw there it is tw uh so yeah we could do this all day but we better get into some stuff yeah, before john comes on in a couple minutes let's talk a little bit about um some of the virtual conferences that uh, took place this week, and, you know, in particular, I think, you know, the two biggies for this week in, in our space, uh, Pega world. And although uh, service now they started, technically they started uh, knowledge 2020 about what a month ago. Uh, yeah. The, the big, the, yeah. The big finish was uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday or. Well, yesterday, but there's still yeah. some sessions going on. Hey, I was right, by the way. Thank you, Thomas. I'll make sure I didn't want to butcher your name. So that's good. So um, we had a little bit of a preview to uh, Pega because we did a special CRM players sit down with uh, Don Shoreman, who is not only the CTO and I think SVP of product marketing and strategy uh, for Pega, but he was also the MC. And so he gave us a little bit of a glimpse. So we had high expectations because of how he said that they were they basically rebuilt the conference from a physical to a virtual and you know he talked us through what some of the things they did and what and how they're going to do it and then yesterday was it uh, two days ago i think it was two days mm -hmm. ago two days ago it happened so what did you think did, I, the, did, did the talk 
did Don's pre-talk meet expectations with uh, yeah, what we saw? Yeah, actually, for the most part, it really did. Look, the thing, and John, who I'm, we're going to definitely raise this with him. He is like the expert on virtual events. I mean, he's he has he's written articles in my Bible on them. And um, <laughs> but look, here's the thing. I mean, obviously, as you and I have discussed multiple times, with virtual events interactivity is key. And Don made a really important comment too. He said. We're moving from theatrical to cinematic now, which, you know, if you take it the right way, because I've actually heard it interpreted wrongly, if you take it the right way, it's telling you, you know, we're, we're going to the big screen, you know, that we're not, it's not IRL anymore, you know, it's the, it's the big screen and we have to take that into account. And, and for the most part, as far as the event itself goes, given that a lot of it was pre-taped, uh, Pega did a great job, actually. I mean, there was, I, I'd say if I was picking a fly out, probably a little more interactivity up front. They basically had Alan, uh, Alan Treffler did his, uh, his keynote, which is 20 minutes. Uh, and then um, they did, I think they realized, oh, we don't have anything interactive. So I said, Alan, you want to do some questions? He said, sure. And he did four or five questions and then went on to Kareem's keynote and so on. The thing they did that I thought was the two best things was the, the visuals were not fabulous, but they were solid, right? They were they were the right visuals. They weren't distracting. They weren't stock. They weren't, they did just what they needed. They didn't go overboard. They weren't probably, you know, if you're taking cinematic, literally, they probably weren't fully cinematic, but they were useful and valuable. The other thing is they managed the time incredibly well. They, they look, I mean, the one thing I know I've learned from virtual events is, um, when it boils down to it, my attention spans a lot less when I'm on a virtual <laughs> event. I've a million other things I want to do. And I've been on a bunch of these virtual events so far. And this one, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then if you go to the tracks, and I did one of the tracks, you know, they were eight to 10 minutes, except mine, which was 11 minutes, of course. <laughs> it was literally the longest track on my track area, right? So uh, by one minute. Um, 10 minutes and 46 seconds to be exact. Uh, still, I still hold my record intact. Never <laughs> on the track. So, um, but they, they actually held the tracks to eight to 10 minutes, you know, and, and as a result of that, they also had a very, um, generous tweet stream. I don't know if you saw that, but they had a very generous treat, tweet stream with a lot of people who weren't just tweeting, come to this session, come to this session. They were commenting on the sessions. There was interactivity. There was the kind of thing you see at the live events where they said, that was great. You know, if I have to pick this, this is terrific. That was fun, blah, blah, blah. A lot of interactivity. The one thing I kind of missed, even though, uh, was an analyst track. They didn't really have one. And I'd say if I was reimagining Pega World for next year, I'd have one. Okay. But beyond that, I, I thought it was great. I mean, what did you think? Uh, so I'm going to touch on a couple of things I tweeted about because I was watching in real time. Uh, I really appreciated the fact that they tried to take advantage of what virtual conferences offer over just trying to, you know, port over the traditional, you know, physical conference and put a camera in front of it. Um, they, they did way more to enhance uh, the look and feel. I mean, uh, Don, when he came on, and, and Alan, and I think it was pretty much across the board, you could tell there were multiple camera views going on. And I thought that was really cool. It didn't just look like some 
you know, they just set up a webcam and they were just talking to it in their, you know, family room. It it looked a little bit more to it than that. I mean, Don had his, his setup, you know, remember he had the big screen on the side with, mm-hmm. with Pega World, it, almost sort of like, you know, you're watching a cable TV and they have the, the board, you know, behind with their shot. He had that, he has guitar hanging in the back. I mean, it didn't look like, you know, uh, kind of that uh, very plain Jane look and feel to it. He had the multiple camera views. They shortened up these sessions because of exactly what you said. You know, if you're in a, a conference setting or if you're in, you know, like an arena, you can sit and listen to somebody for 40 to 45 minutes straight uh, because of the the environment that that is taking place in. Here, we're I'm sitting in front of like I've got three or four different screens, and if if I you know if something starts to get boring, it's so easy to transition your attention to something else. So they kept things quick, kind of punchy. There was some interaction. They they did some real time uh, Q and A with Alan. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I, I was coming in to uh, Don, and Don would then ask Alan questions. Um, so I appreciate it. And, you know, and Al, I mean, Don has uh, you know that comedic approach. Right. It, you know, so he was able to add some things in that, you know, you know, the, the eating the eggs thing. Uh, yeah. You know, it was kind of funny. I know. <laughs> kind of funny. Um, so they they took the approach to making it kind of like a, a show as opposed to a business conference presentation. And I think you have to do things like that when you are trying to compete with people sitting in front of five or six different screens and the attention can be transferable so easily and quickly as opposed to, you know, you pretty much have their attention for the most part when you have them physically located and, and you know, you're looking down on them and they're looking up at you. But that's not the case uh, when we're all sitting in our shelter in place, you know, work from home environments. And we have, I'm like one laptop, two laptop, a couple of iPads. So there's too easy to transfer your attention. I think they knew that. That's why they shrunk it down from like two and a half days to or three days to two and a half hours or something like that. Right. So I thought that was good. The thing that I would add um, to what they did was it would be nice to have a little bit more of a television show feel like as these conversations, these Q&A's are going on, have a lower third, have something where, you know, uh, once something that was said, do you really want to hammer it down, hammer the point home? have it in a lower third, you know, so-and-so just said this, have some more, some additional graphics to really enhance the experience a little bit more. So if you, if you're going to give them a grade, what would it be from A, A to F minus and plus counts? They can add it in. So I want to make sure I don't grade it too high because I think it was great for the first real attempt at virtualizing a conference, but I want to see, Others start there and move it forward. I'm going to say, I'm going to say B plus. Okay. Either, either B plus, A minus, take your pick. I want to leave some room because I, I, we should see even more done as the year goes on. And people hopefully look at what they did and learn from it. I am literally with you on that same border of B plus, A minus. My reasoning goes to her. In the early keynote parts of it, they sh- I thought they could have had considerably more 
interactivity than not considerably more, a, a significant, a reasonable amount more interactivity than they did. Other than that, I thought it was excellent and and well done. And and the oh, the one last thing is the visual and the audio were very good. I mean, it was all HD yes. solidly. And Don Sherman, for those of you who are interested, actually did a tweet where he shows a picture. I think it was a tweet uh, where he shows a picture of the his lighting setup and everything else that he went on yeah. to see to the extent that Pegel went to make sure everything worked really well. All right, let's bring on the GURP. Hey, GURP. <laughs> GURP himself. He's, he's looking at us like, who the hell are you guys talking? <laughs> got, got Muhammad Ali in the background, his calendar, CRM players. It is John Reed, who has got to take the gum out of his mouth because we caught him completely off. Uh, it's John Reed, the gangster of ERP. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. I'm here to crash the CX parade with cynical <laughs> jabs about operational efficiency and things like that. No, that's that's okay, then we'll stay away from that. Yeah, that's just what we needed. I mean, now he's got the sirens in the background. Yeah. Are you well, coming you know, straight, out, straight out of where now? Uh, I'll tell you. Life on the edge, brother. Life on the edge. I was CX police coming to stop you, man. <laughs> I can see we that. We have them. Just Let's just say we have them. Uh, all right. We got to give him his full props. This is the co-founder of Diginomica, and he's one of the leading thought leaders when it comes to all things ERP, or as like we say, ERP. Yeah. So we call you the gangster of ERP. That means G-E-R-P. So that makes you the GERP, man. Right. Which kind of takes away from the word gangster a lot, but yeah, a gangster sounds much tougher than GURP. So you know, take your pick. GURP or VRP. Oh, that's <laughs> uh, so. Well, wait, don't forget the other thing with John is he's also he actually does kind of fall into the CX universe a lot too, and does a hell of a job on that end. And and one of the things very germane to what we're talking about is he is my new god when it comes to virtual events. His stuff on virtual events. He's been writing them for a long time, actually. It has not been, you know, let's say it was not COVID enabled, right? We uh, gotta make up well, we gotta make up our minds here. We we either gonna call him a gangster or a god. I don't think you can be both at the same no, time. Gur god of ERP works the same. So <laughs> Gurp, I'm, I'm Gurp's stick, fine. I'm stick with Gurp's gangster guys. God, god. <laughs> I, I can't Gurp. doing that, man. <laughs> not doing that. But but I, all right, I'm agnostic, so calling you God. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did you check out the uh, Peg World? Any of it? No, I didn't uh, do that. I was doing some other virtual events this week. Part of my thing is you never know where I'm going to show up. That's part of what makes me different. Um, but I mean, I, I think like in a large regard, what I want to oh, let's let me let me just get arrested first, and then we can get to this conversation. <laughs> um, this is the gangster's life, man. Gangster's paradise. <laughs> I mean, in, in a large part, I think what binds us all together and what I really care about in my editorial is about change and transformation. And like what you're, what you're describing with PEGA is about, is exactly like what we're talking about here, which is like trying to figure out like, what can we actually do with a live event? Like, as opposed to just treading water until the on the ground events return, right? Because the first live events we saw this spring were just horrendous, right? Is basically like let's stitch a few webinars together with like some sewing gear from home, and like <laughs> you know, and call that an event. You know, ow, and, I cut my, I pricked my finger. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, you logged in to see this live keynote, and then it's like been recorded. Like I don't know, like <laughs> two weeks before in someone's bedroom. I mean, it's come on. <laughs> 
So yeah, I think yeah. I think vendors are starting to get it. Like, and so I think we're gonna. So I think what you described about Peg is starting to see the opportunity. It's more of a TV show, you know. It's uh, you know, it's more of an opportunity to interact. Like they're starting to get it, but I think we're still. I like your B plus kind of push as far as like I don't. In my opinion, we're not in the A territory yet with virtual events, but I did not see the Pega one, so I'm just going with your take there. What about ServiceNow? Do you see any of that? A little bit, yeah. I, I mean, I was I, I, I tracked a little bit of Bill's stuff. Um, I mean, one of the things that ServiceNow did well, and, and I think a lot of vendors have tried to do this, they did a great job with the customer stories. They had a, yeah. a crap ton of customer uh, use cases set out. And, and a lot of them were pertaining to the COVID environment, which is great because yeah. one of the other problems that you run into with some of these customer things that are pre-recorded is you keep waiting them waiting for them to mention like COVID and like the fact that the market has changed and you're like, come on, like that's what we all want to learn right now. And I think it's frustrating when you hear a canned thing where they don't, but I think what ServiceNow did, they had a bunch of customers who were talking about those transitions and, you know, so I really think they did a good job there. And of course, it's always interesting to see Bill McDermott because he's, I, I don't know. I mean, he feels like he's walking on clouds literally right now. He's like, man, I left that on-premise mess of SAP <laughs> behind me. I'm like totally psyched, which is really unfair to SAP's cloud plays. But I think you, you get what I'm saying. Like he was going to have to try to stitch together all those uh, acquisitions. And now he's just rolling. He's talking about how ServiceNow is the, you know, the company, the future and stuff. He He's all jazzed up. So I think, I think that event had a lot of energy, but I, I only saw a handful of the customer sessions. So you got, I'll, I'll defer to you for a grade. I won't give it a grade. Well, I mean, on that, on, to your point on the on COVID and customer stories, I completely agree. In fact, the COVID stuff carried into the management uh, and the Q and A sessions and everything. In fact, if you looked at the lead into some of their stuff this morning, when I was looking at it after, you know, I was looking at some of the pre recordings after a while. Um, they actually would say, look, we've, we're releasing a return to work set of COVID apps now. If you want to get more information on that, please go over here. But it was part and parcel of the entire discussion, right? Um, and Which was a big strength. I, I thought, though, I have to say, where I had a problem, even though well, I had a couple of problems was on the uh, on the analyst track that I was on. I had, a, I had two problems with it, really. One problem was the quality of their video was pretty terrible. Um, and the sound wasn't very good either. And, but even worse, um, the way they handled it was again, the con now, before I get to this part, the content was fine. I mean, you know, they answered the way you expect them to answer, but at the same time, there was nothing wrong with the answers either. And Bill McDermott handled all the questions. He had one from, I think, uh, I mean, he, I know he had one from Ray, Ray Wong because Ray told me, but that also goes to my problem. If, we had a few, if so, I don't know if you were on it, but I think you were, John. But remember, SAP did just an analyst discussion with Bob Stutz and Esteban. And you had 43 analysts. And you could see all the analysts. And it was a little bit managed, you know, with the questions on the chat side. But this one, you had no idea who the other analysts were. You did not, you completely blanked, completely blocked. Right? So you basically felt, and then the only place you could even possibly ask a question was in this private chat. You couldn't see the stream of questions at all, right? You saw you, you saw virtual questions, questions that were answered by a virtual assistant, but you weren't seeing the heavy hitting questions really that at least I didn't. I was scrolling, looking for these questions and half the time I didn't see them. But even worse, I had no idea who was asking anything, 
right? And, and they never said it. They said, uh, well, we've got a question for you, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it takes away from the fact that this is a group of people. It's not, me, it's not a one-on-one -on -one with me and everybody there watching auto-generated questions, right? This is a group of people. And everything was so thoroughly managed that it took away from the, the, the feel of the event. And look, I mean, the one thing you are trying to reproduce at, at a virtual side to me is some of the excitement of it. You know, some of the fact you actually have it's a social environment one way or the other. Even It's not, you know, in person. Um, but that was gone. Right, so and that bothered me a lot, to be perfectly honest. And the, the colors were bland. The the uh, the the, uh, the video and audio were poor. So it that part didn't work. But to to your point, the customer stories, the COVID stuff was on point, and and they did a great job with that. And but if you're going to give them a food grade, then you can't do that anymore. So now you have to, you know, you can only grade yourself on food now. So that's tough. I know, I know. But, but, but you yeah, know, I was eating. The, the, the thing, I, I wrote a piece hammering vendors on their analyst days online because I, I've run it, I've gone a bunch of them that were very similar to what you just described. And um, one of the reasons I put in the piece was like, I was thinking to myself, well, maybe some of these vendors don't even like care or whatever, but it's like analyst days. I mean, come on, it's just a bunch of goofballs like you and me and Brent. But but I was like, but you're going to run similar types of online programs for your, for your premier customers because most of these vendors have you know, special select boards of customers, advisory boards and stuff like that. And if they can get the analyst day right, then they can get these other premier customer events right also. So that's why if anyone's listening who works on those types of events, you got to you got to get these a lot better than they are because it's a huge missed opportunity to do something really cool and, and, and garner a sense of community and interaction. And instead, you get these like boilerplate, I call them brain dumps, but it's like, it seems like how much information can we impart in this like amount of time and it's like oh my god and, and then the analysts are asking the cheesiest questions i'm like oh my god you blew your opportunity to ask an awesome question you know and i don't know so we all we got to make these events better and that that includes us i think yeah what do you think that's fair enough so i watched uh, a couple of the on-demand um sessions the 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 uh, i guess the ending keynote and the and the welcome and some some other stuff um, I'm just going to maybe focus on the ending keynote. Cause that was about 50 minutes long and it was, you know, broken up. It was conversation led by, uh, I forget her name now, but it's, uh, some kind of British oh. tech journalist. Um, I can't, can't remember her name, but anyway, TB um, initials, I think I can't, I'm yeah. not even going to try to say what her Alex, name was. Alex. Um, I never heard her before, but, uh, I will say like, the production level on the ending keynote in terms of video quality and audio quality way better uh, than the, like the opening. Um, the conversation was good. It was very focused and it, it was, you could tell they were driving home this, this message of, I think Bill McDermott referred to it uh, uh, several times as a workflow revolution, mm -hmm. which is kind of a, you know, that this sounds kind of funny, but, uh, and they had some, uh, it was, the message was good. They had some really good case studies like you were talking about. Um, one of the things I really appreciated was, uh, they did this, uh, like the Disney plus case study. And that was really interesting about how they, you know, the scale at which uh, that that's operating at and, you know, the whole streaming and in introducing a new service kind of in the midst of a pandemic and, and how it took off and their role in it. Um, they talked a little bit about, uh, uh I think it was Accenture 
is has their 500,000 employees rolling out mobile applications based on their platform. And I guess Bill calls it the, they're calling their platform, the, the platform of the platform, which is kind of getting meta there, which is kind of interesting. Um, the thing that caught my attention, of course, I'm looking at this for, for uh, the aesthetics, but also for the information. They, they talked about how uh, they are rolling out the, you know, kind of the case study of their virtual assistant and how the employee experience is being played out with their virtual assistant, which I thought was cool, um, particularly when it came to, uh, they were kind of talking about having a video conferencing session and getting video bombed and being able to, you know, talk to your virtual assistant to, to rectify the situation. And the virtual assistant was voice activated and voice related and spoke back to you. And it was able to do things beyond, you know, kind of the easy peasy kind of stuff. You can tell there's some integration between the services in the background that's activated by voice and the voice is the interface between real AI and real activity. I thought that was great. I thought they did a great job of showing it, but you know, the one thing that irritated the hell out of me and kind of just, it just, and when you're doing these virtual events, if you don't get everything right, the one little thing can throw you off and it threw me off the virtual assistant's voice was terrible it was something like out of max headroom it was really bad and so although it was doing all these really cool things and it's being showcased beautifully that voice almost messed it up for me because it was just that bad so i think just the kind of the moral of the story is you got to have all these things lined up and you got to have them working really good because you don't want something that seems to be as trivial as that to throw off the whole thing well, it really doesn't have to, and it really shouldn't, because what I saw was really pretty good. And I, I like how seeing voice used from an employee experience perspective and not from a consumer perspective. I think that's where we're going with this when a digital transformation um, after post-COVID or post-COVID is being able to make uh, these experiences as consumable for employees as they are for consumers who are talking to their smart uh, assistants and, and smart speakers and all that. So I got all of that out of this session, but the thing that stood out to me was some rough transitions uh, between the, you know, each segment of the sessions of the keynote and this irritating voice that just almost ruined the whole presentation for that very cool thing. I think when you do virtual, you have to get a lot of this stuff almost, almost all right, where you can kind of get away from it with a little flash and dash when you're in Vegas and you're surrounded by 20,000 people. Hey, John. So on a similar uh, related area with this, with ServiceNow, actually, you cover ServiceNow, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the lead uh, on ServiceNow. No. Yeah, I do. I do write about ServiceNow here and there. So what's your, what's your thinking on the direction they're actually taking? Cause you know, I'm, I'm continually amazed by a lot of what they're doing. Well, I, I like the current mojo a lot because I felt, and, you know, this is really more probably my bias from like an enterprisey guy, but I kind of felt like they were veering a little bit too heavy on the consumer experiences side and some of the, you know, kind of some of the content that they were pushing. But now when they're talking about, uh, you know, the platform of the platform thing, like you said, it's a little bit meta Brent, but I think, I think it does like really show a, an enterprise like grade focus of 
of their sort of pursuits. And in my mind, that's really the key to where they're going from here. I mean, they have such a broad ability to have impact that part of their challenge is to figure out where to put their emphasis, you know, because they can do a lot for IT folks, but they can also do a lot for CRM types that you guys cover. But then to Brent's point, there's a whole employee experience piece that's coming out in the HR side as well. So one of their interesting challenges is to figure out how to get across to, to prospects, like all the things they can do and like, how do you focus that, right? Like there's a lot of markets they could tackle. Um, but in general, like, I think they're really well positioned right now. I don't know if, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably won't get as hyperbolic as, as McDermott, but, but I like where they're headed. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Although I, I actually like the, the increasing emphasis on obviously on the uh, CX side and, and the reason just simply the, the Disney plus thing for me was a land, it's a landmark customer for them, both from scope. Yep. I mean, I, I, this, um, I, I'm an advisor to the company and, and uh, they talked to me, I'm not going to go into the details because I think it's still under NDA, but they talked to me about the Disney plus stuff when it first occurred. And I've been keeping my eyes on it ever since, because to me, that customer alone literally transforms the company. And they actually did a um, customer story with the Disney Plus, I think it was a CIO or something like that, the Disney Plus CIO. And they've really partnered very closely with them. Look, there's no question about their ability, at least from the customer service side, obviously, which is where I focus and Brent more focused, uh, to do their customer service ops side. They're the best. They're literally on the ops side. They're the best. Companies like 3C Logic, you know, partners that are making a living off of that. Uh, you know, they're so good at it. Where they've lagged considerably is they do, because they do cross consumers with these companies all the time. They cross their customers front end all the time because the ops are pushing out to the front end. And, and they've always lagged badly in that way. And they've lagged uh, to a degree, well, not as badly, on the employee user experience. They have, Disney Plus, I think, is helping to transform that to something of real value for the company, both the user experience itself and the interaction uh, between the customer and the and their customer. Uh, and Disney Plus has been the key. It's like I'm going to call it the uh, Mandalorian effect. <laughs> the Mandalor you don't watch Disney Plus. Do you? I'm not a Disney Plus subscriber, but I hear you. Florian, man. Come on, he's the gangster ERP. He can't be yeah. when you were talking comic book references earlier. I, my head was spinning a little bit, uh, <laughs> but I, I was impressed though. But but yeah, I think the the main thing to think about with ServiceNow is that they really they they really used to take root in the IT area first and kind of land and expand from there. And now I think what I got this year was they really want to position as the core of the digital transformation effort inside of a company, which is a more ambitious kind of business friendly thing kind of what you're alluding to paul and and i think where they really resonate is with the scale they deal with like like the 7-eleven thing they were talking about you're talking about sixty thousand stores and stuff like no. this, this is not right. a small, this is not a small time operation here no right. and they all they want to make sure it's all tied back to workflow i think he said they yeah. want to it's all experience but with each experience it's 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 basically built on top of workflow. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, hey, John, do you want to hang around and and uh, let Paul do his watch list winner thing, and then we'll yeah. get back on on the yeah. other side. I'll mute out and enjoy the show. 
Oh yeah. Well, oh right. Well, been on the pros discussion with Jeff Webb though afterwards. So right. So uh, let me uh, turn over the stage to Mr. PG, and we're talking pros for the watch list. All right, everyone. This is going to be short and sweet because the look again. We have to reiterate this every time. This is why they won the watch list. So I'm not going to savage the company in any way, right? It's why they won. And you know how hard it was to win, okay? And there will be one brief announcement on the watch list future right at the end of this. So there's basically ultimately three reasons that pros won the watch list, if I have to boil it down. One, the easy one, which is the, the technology itself, which is even though you know pros, if, if you know pros, uh, you know, Houston-based company, um, one, you know this, that they historically have been the kings of pricing optimization. You know, you had other competitors like Vendavo and others, but the reality was pros wins that one every time. And they've, they've actually won, I believe, market share of something like 80%, right, when it comes to that. So, and again, one of the ways you win a watch list impact is how much impact you have in a market, not just the market. That's one. The, but what they really have, and when it boils down to the technology's power, strength, and future applicability, is one of the best, singularly the best AR, AI platform I've ever seen. It's, it's far more flexible, far more capable than even what they use. It's been prescriptive long before other ones were. Um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been everything you could expect out of an AI system or an AI platform, they have. Okay, I, again, no time to go into detail, but you get the idea. And if they want to adapt to a different market that's completely unrelated to what they do, they could. The other market and the other thing is their dominance because of their uh, on pricing optimization and also their strength with by the addition of Chameleon several years ago, a CPQ company. Uh, they own travel, the travel industry. In fact, in Europe, I think their market share in airlines is 100%, right? So the power of the technology in the market and the power of their offerings in the market is number one, or it's the first, I should say. The second thing is they have a very strong management team who uh, is very, very intelligent and, and aligns with them and understands you have to change the strategy, change the internal nature of the company, change the programmatic offerings as the market evolves. They don't stick with what was successful. They are continually evolving, continually realigning, continually looking at the market. They have a very strong, they're sort of in an interesting place. They're halfway between mission and vision. You know, we have mission, mission driven companies like Calis Cloud was, and they could adapt to what uh, the market needed at that time, but they didn't think too far ahead. Then you had the visionary companies who could think really well ahead. Still were adapting okay to the market level, but think well ahead and we're always preparing for the future. These guys fall right on that line, which is actually one of the great strengths, right? And they're able continually to evolve. When they bought Chameleon, for example, a couple of years, a few years ago, they bought it as a feature. They didn't buy it as a let's enter the CPQ market. Peripherally, they got into the CPQ market because Chameleon had customers, but they actually bought it as a feature to add to the offering and, and to differentiate because they began seeing the need for it at that point. But the, the real strength of the company, and to me, this is the number one thing without any question, is the culture. I've never seen a culture, and that's including every company I know. And the only one even, I think, somewhat competitive with them in a very different way is Zoho. Those two companies, right? Uh, a very different 
approaches, but those two companies, best corporate culture I've ever seen. They treat the employees incredibly well. They, uh, to give you an example, Pros is a 30-year-old company. A significant number of their employees have 30-year anniversaries, including management team people. Only Zoho beats it in percentage of management teams still there, right? Zoho has 65% of their management team from 23 years ago, still Zoho. But Pros has 30-year veterans still at the company. But it's also the way Andres Reiner, who is one of the, not only one of the most capable, one of the nicest people I, I think I know, um, the way he treats employees even when they're leaving. To give you two examples quickly, and it'll give you a great idea on the company. The first example is an employee, two employees I know, who had decided to move on to other things. And Andres wanted to keep them, but um, they didn't want to stay. They just wanted to try other things. Andres' basic attitude was, look, here's the deal. Stay as long as you want so you have a job, so you get your money, so you can work here. And when, you got, when you're ready to go, then leave. But until then, you don't have to leave. There's no reason to leave in advance. Stay, earn, a, earn an income. That way you don't have to sweat it and go, right? And then go, right? That was one. The second thing goes to a conversation I had with, um, with uh, an execu uh, uh, Andres' executive assistant, Kim, uh, about three years ago. It was one of the best EAs I've ever, she's more than an EA, really. She's really uh, 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 a number two, uh, uh, what do you, what's the chief of staff. Uh, so I asked her, so what's your five-year plan? Where do you want to be in five years? And here's the way she answered it. She said, I don't know what I want to be doing, but I do know I want to be doing it at pros. She doesn't even know what her, she was young, right? Doesn't know what her future career is, but she knows where she wants to be in five years. That's the power of that culture. And I could give you dozens more examples of how strong that culture is. You build that kind of culture for a company, you're not only being sustainable, but you're keeping the talent, you're, you're aligning with the future, you're working in the present, and at the same time, you're building everything you need to build to make that company ha to have an impact over years and years and years to come. And that's why pros won the 2020 watch list. Before we bring on our guests, one last thing. I'm going to be putting out the watch list 2021 registration next Monday. Companies have registered for it already, but I'm going to ask you to re-register. I've made some significant changes due to COVID, and that's um, – that's why I did that, right? Uh, because I, why I'm asking you to re-register. So be prepared. You'll see the announcement on ZDNet here, elsewhere. But next week, Monday, CRM Watchlist opens for registration. We're going to extend it into a little early into next year so that there's a little more time to do the actual uh, questionnaire. Just All right. So with that, let's bring everybody back, including Jeff Webb. Jeff, uh, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's nice to uh, get to speak to you all. Okay, so given how technical we are nowadays, good lighting. You have good lighting. <laughs> working. Your sound is clear. <laughs> you know, I, I think good lighting in my case generally means dim, but I will take that as a, as a compliment. Thank you. So, okay, Jeff, so listen, let me ask you this first question. Could, look, VP of strategy, so... I'm, one of the things, if you heard what I said, was you align real. You are very good as a company at aligning with the market as it evolves, right? So, what goes into that determination for you? I mean, that's your job, man. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we. It's funny. We we try to practice what we preach as a business, 
And, you know, when we, we think about the way businesses respond anytime when there's a lot of changes in a market, you know, and they should be doing this all the time is we really think of three things that you do well, right? You, and, and we probably, I know you and I have talked about this in the past and those things are to, to listen to what your customers are telling you directly or indirectly to, to kind of personalize how you offer that, take offerings to them and engage with them where and how they want. And we find that it's something you do, if you do it well, it, it drives all the other changes that you need to make. And, and it's something we really do take to heart. We spend a lot of time both talking to, to our current customers, we talk to people like yourselves who can give us broader you know, market perspectives. We talk to the people that are not our customers, right? to the deals that we didn't win, because it happens from time to time, um, and really try and understand what's driving the world of our customers, the things that really are important to them. And I know a lot of businesses say that. I mean, it's kind of table stakes for, for business strategy, but it is... Um, it's essential you do it well, and it's essential you commit as a business to both do it and then to act on it, right? You, you have to be engaging with customers and you have to be taking them on a journey. You know, I, 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 I've kind of likened this. I, did, I gave a presentation a while ago and I likened the situation to being, you know, people are in a storm-tossed sea right now, right? There is things coming at them from every direction. It is dark and it is confusing. Our job is to pull people out of the water, get them in the boat with us and say, you know, this is the direction we're going, we'll take you with us. And I think if you can live that and do it, um, it has a transformative effect on how you work with with companies and it it changes their world and it changes your world. How about the, you, I mean, you guys deal with optimization and numbers mm -hmm. and trying yep. to help your customers figure out the right mix from a data perspective uh, to allow them to make the best offer at the right time and, and yeah. extend it to that level. What, what is this, this pandemic? How has digital transformation changed and how have using the numbers, using these optimization mm -hmm. techniques and skills change as uh, you know, because of what's going on right now? Yeah, it's, so I think the first thing it's done is it's made almost every business everywhere in the world kind of look at their current business plans and say, you know what, this probably isn't going to work anymore. And we've seen every kind of business go, you know what, that was great, looked like a great plan back in December. It no longer applies. In fact, no longer, no, not only does it no longer apply, um, it's probably actively damaging if we try and follow this. And so that pressure to engage with customers in different ways, engage with them where they want, you know, the move to digital has gone from something we were planning over the course of years to something we must do over the course of weeks and months. And that has really accelerated the transformation of the things that we work with with businesses on, which is really the transformation of the sales process. Like every step of that sales process has to change because the one thing that we cannot ignore has changed, and that's what your customers want to do, how your customers want to buy. So yeah, everything's got faster, everything's become more intense, everything's become more direct, everything's more personalized, um, and as a result, the risk that businesses take is if you just react, right? If you don't, if you don't look at the information, if you're not listening again to the market, then you run the risk of doing the wrong thing really quickly, and that's a bad thing right now. So, what we're recommending is, you know, you look closely at what matters to your customers, and it may have changed. It probably has changed, right? What what they see as value in the relationship with you is probably changing right now. 
Um, so you better understand that and you better shape how you go to market, what you take to market, how you sell it, how you package it, how you price it, obviously, an area that we focus on, um, so that you're matching what they want to get out of things. So yeah, everything's faster and everything's more focused now. Um, so what's, what would be some evidence that you've seen of those kind of changes? I mean- Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, this, I mean, there's a lot of things that we're seeing happening. I think broadly, you know, every conversation we have is becoming more and more focused on how do we, how do we engage digitally more quickly, right? So I've talked, you know, there was a conversation with one of our customers. It's been a long time customer, one of the largest food manufacturing companies in the world. Um, they said, you know, we were thinking about things like e-commerce because we're really a B2B company, but we kind of think maybe e-commerce should become important for us in the future. Now we realize we're way behind, like we need it now and we need to do it right now. We need to scale now. We, um, we have a company, a customer of ours that's a specialty manufacturing company, been around a very, very long time. They, uh, they told us recently that they went from sort of the end of last year, beginning of this year, doing about 10% of their orders through sort of online digital e-commerce type channels. Now it's 80% of their business. Now, can you imagine if they didn't have the infrastructure and the capacity to respond to that, the kind of the harm that does their presence in the market, they luckily they're able to, um, but that is an incredible shift that happened is in an unprecedented quick way, right? No one could have planned for that. No, no, no. Hey, John, before I move on, do you have anything you'd like to ask uh, Jeff? Well, yeah, I mean, Jeff, Paul was singing the praises of your AI, and um, I, I'm I'm somewhat of an AI like skeptic in the sense that I just okay. think it's it's a term that's been used and abused so much, yes. right? Um, and 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 I think it's so difficult for customers because when they're looking at vendors, everyone's got a brilliant AI solution; they'll tell mm -hmm. you all about it. So, what, what do you think made Paul sing your praises there, and 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 what that because I think I think AI. It, if you're going to use a term, it's got to go beyond simply automation, right? Because right. automation it can be a rules-based scenario. So, so what do you think made Paul so so giddy there? <laughs> I really want to know. It's always good to see Paul slightly giddy, though. I think that's the most entertaining, right there. Yeah, absolutely. He's shaking his head. <laughs> Talk about the Yankees. That'll do it every time. <laughs> um, you know, I think for us, and Paul sees this, right? He, he, he works with us. He looks kind of under the hood and understands what we're doing. First of all, we invest incredibly heavily in, in real sort of meaningful AI research. We have some of the most intelligent, brilliant people you can imagine. Uh, you know, our chief AI strategist, Dr. Michael Wu, you know, leads the world in the thinking about the application of AI to business problems, complex business problems. I think the other thing I would say is we've been doing this for a while. So we, we, we don't say, you know, here's a generalized AI platform, go do something with it, go hire a bunch of people and do stuff. What we've done is we've taken a lot of AI horsepower and we have tied it very closely to solving very specific business problems. Things like I'm in a deal in real time with a customer, you know, based on everything else that's going on in my business, everything else is similar to them. What's the right price for this particular offering that I can offer? Can I increase margin by 1% and still win this business? What's the what's the right configuration of this very complex product so that I can get it to this customer and it'll be the right thing for them. And we have done that. We've delivered that capability through the, the commerce platform that we've built over and over again. And it's proven, right? We have, the nice thing is we have the proven sort of results because we see this, we process about, I think it's something like about 2 trillion transactions a year, literally with a T 
going through our system. So the scope of information that we see going through the, the systems and so on is gives us the breadth to really apply it in a way that's provable. And I think that's what people look for now when they think about AI is, can you prove it? So one last question before we uh, have to wrap up. Yep. Um, one of the things that of course impressed me from you guys from day one was your culture, right? I mean, it just, yeah. I've never seen a, at that point, I'd literally never seen any culture like yours. Now, as I said, Zoho is, different approach, but kind of almost on par with the quality of culture that you have. How's that work? Uh, and why am I, why am I so giddy about it? <laughs> Again, giddy. Um, yeah, the, it, it's funny. I, Pros as a company, I am actively proud to work for. And I, you know, and I, and I know it's easy to say that, but we really do. It's, we invest an incredible amount in, uh, I know, at a topic that's obviously painfully apparent right now, diversity and inclusion, right? We work really hard to make sure that we bring in people with a lot of different perspectives and viewpoints, and we give them the chance to develop and grow as a business. We spend a lot of time and effort looking after our employees because the mantra is very simple, right? If you, our job is to help people and businesses outperform, and we, we apply that to ourselves in our expectations but we also apply it in the way we look after our people. And you do that, it comes back tenfold. And, and I'm, you know, I see it every day and it is really impressive, Paul. And you're right to be giddy about that part. Absolutely. Uh, again, I, I, you know, when I'm, I, I, as I mentioned to earlier, I advise you guys and uh, yeah. coming to Houston, which I used to love to do, uh, coming to the office was just a pleasure, man. It made my day just to be in the yeah. office because everyone's so happy about being there it's like yeah. rare i've seen that well, i'm i'm kind of sorry that i'm gonna have to break up the giddiest i know uh, this whole <laughs> session, man. And, and, and jeff i could yeah. i could tell you are from uh you are a native of houston i could you just tell that, that right in the accent I know, I yeah, the hat, got it then I got the okay. get that 10 gallon hat and you'd be a, a, a ringer man yeah now, this has been fun. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, I, I always love uh, doing the watch list uh, or listening to the watch list for a second. Because I learn a lot about the different companies that enter the watch list. So it, it's, yeah, it's great. great to have you on. And it was also great to have the GURP on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's Gerpen's not often. Man. Appreciate <laughs> it's not it, often. It's not often you should have. Other gangster of ERP. It's got all three <laughs> titles. Well, well, thanks. Thanks for not bringing up the Red Sox either. I appreciate it. No. <laughs> it's all good. I just, I just appreciate the the gangster of ERP with the with the ambulance sounds in the background because that just made it all feel right, man. Top cars, ambulance sounds <laughs> working right. We'll let you get back to your, uh, you know, whatever it was that uh, the police were trying to get you for. Appreciate so. that, guys. <laughs> and, uh, let us know. Yeah, let us know if you need if you need somebody Absolutely. to bail you out. <laughs> call call Paul. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'll be there. Absolutely. All right. So hey, this is uh the end of another CRM players weekly, but tomorrow we'll be back in well, you want to tell them who's coming back with us tomorrow? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have uh Jay, aka Jason Lumsden, who of course is the I'll call him Title like the co-CIO, meaning he helps run IT at the Boston Red Sox. He will be on the show with us. Um, 
and we'll be. Don't we know anybody else from other sports teams? I mean, yeah, it's, well, kinda, I actually have ideas on that. It's just I, to to the credit of the Red Sox, the only time I'll ever credit them for anything is they're really good about letting people do that stuff. That no they're one not. else is anywhere near as good about that as they, they just say, "Go ahead." I, I just think that they get really good about doing this stuff when they know it's coming on our show. And right. yeah. we can't seem to get rid of the folks from Boston. But, hey, you know, I'm, I actually like Jason. Uh, yeah, so, he's, he's, that's one of the reasons. He, he, this will be his, what, like third or fourth appearance with us, I think. Something like that. The only thing I'm really not looking forward to is Bob Fagel is going to be on, you know. Yeah, listening in. It's, yeah, it's not Well, we just won't bring him in, that's all. There it is. That's a thought. Okay, so thanks again for joining us. And for Jeff and John, I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. We are the CRM Players, and we will see you tomorrow. Thanks. Take care.